Kathleen Gustafson, and welcome to The Coffee Table. This morning on Coffee Table, the topic is the District 3 candidates for Homer Electric Association Board of Directors. Also, we will be joined at about 9.30 by Carrie Ann Baker, from spokesperson for HEA, but in the studio right now, Jim Levine, let's test your mic, the incumbent. Good Hi, morning. Kathleen. How are you today? Good morning to you. And Mike Jones, who's challenging for the seat. Good morning. Hello, Kathleen. Good to be here. I'm so pleased to meet you both, and thanks for coming in. I Let's just get right to it, and I we're going to start with incumbent Jim Levine. The first time you served was a term in 2009. And you've had a sub, uh, then there was a break and you're back. So you've served two terms. HEA has term limits of three. Right, correct. So this, if if you are reelected, this would be your final term, yes, right? That's, that's correct. So I. Well, unless you get another, you can take another break and. Oh, okay. I didn't understand that. So it's not, it can't be consecutive terms. Right, you can't have consecutive. I'm learning things every moment. Okay, so. Let's start with, just introduce yourself the way you would like to be known and talk a little bit about your experience. Go, Jim Levine. <laughs> okay, thank you. And thanks for the opportunity to, uh, to discuss the election uh, for District 3. Um, well, my experience is, I've, as a work, my work experience has been as a professional engineer and a construction project manager uh, for Shea Brandt here in Homer. Um, I've been here 30 years and uh, wanted to give back to the community with, uh, with my expertise and uh, felt HEA would be a great fit. I've done it, like you said, I've done it a couple of times now and uh, it does seem to fit good. Um, prior, to, prior to the HEA board, I, I was the uh, chairman of uh, one of the RCAC, the Regional Citizens Advisory Council for Prince William Sound after the oil spill. Um, I was chairman on one of those committees and then uh, I've also been uh, president of the KBBI board um, many years back in the 90s. Um, so I guess uh, currently now I've been on HEA, like you said, two separate times. Uh, first time we were putting together what's called independent light. Uh, we were um, trying to get away from having uh, Chugach Electric run our system and uh, that was that seems to have been very successful. We we now have our own, all of our own generation, and uh, we do all of our own stuff. We we brought probably 20 jobs down to the peninsula, um, doing independent light because uh, there's a bunch of people that we needed to have in Kenai to um, run the run the show basically, and uh, so those those all came from Anchorage. Well, the area has HEA's area has expanded greatly in that time, hasn't it? Um, or has no, it always been? No, it's it goes from uh, basically Seldovia to um, to almost Cooper Landing. Cooper Landing, yeah, almost, okay. not quite. Um, so yeah, it's um, it's been that way since I've been on the board, the first time even. Um, so that was so independent light was was really successful, and then uh, this last time we've um, probably the main thing that that we've done is that battery, um, the battery energy storage system in Soldatna. Um, it's called the BESS, and uh, that that's been every time it's every time we get islanded. Um, what does that mean? An islanded is uh, basically if we're no longer 
on the rail belt, there's a transmission line that goes from Bradley Lake all the way up to Fairbanks. And if we're no longer part of that um, system, every once in a while, you know, the lines go down or uh, usually it's Chugach has to uh, do some maintenance and uh, we'll, um, we'll be islanded. And uh, it used to cost us $24,000 every day when we would be islanded. Um, and with the battery system, it, we, can, we don't have to do the extra stuff, so we save $24,000 a day. And you wonder, well, how often are we islanded? Well, this year we're anticipating to be islanded for two months uh, while Chugash does some uh, maintenance on the, on the transmission line up by Anchorage. And what about, uh, we've talked, obviously, I mean, you're talking a little bit about the work that you've done up until this point, but what do you see as your priorities going forward? What's... Okay. Um, yeah, I mean, going forward, my, my biggest priority right now is diversifying our, uh, our power generation portfolio. Um, as probably everybody is aware. Oh, yeah. The state, the state is uh, estimating that the demand for natural gas in the Cook Inlet Basin uh, is going to exceed the supply as soon as, perhaps as soon as 2027. Um, Hillcorp, Hillcorp has already told all the utilities that they're not going to extend any of their co gas contracts, and uh, HEA's contract is going to be up next year. Um, so we're kind of we're kind of in a uh, tight spot. Um, well, I've got a, a whole I've got a whole set of topic <laughs> a whole uh, set of uh, time carved out for that topic for sure. Okay. Uh, what about? Um, is there anything else on that list you brought? Because I would love to hear if, uh, if you have anything else in terms of introducing yourself, and then I'm going to introduce okay. the challenger. Um, the only other thing was you, you had uh, down about goals. Oh, yeah. Um, and I, if you're going to talk about that later, that's fine. No, Otherwise, go ahead. Um, I was going to say that uh, I, I know there's been, there's been a lot of talk about HEA having a renewable goal of uh, 50% by 2025. And I was just going to mention that that actually that actually came from the Palin administration. Um, the state of Alaska has a goal of 50% renewable by 2025. So we um, just kind of figured that that's um, if that's something the state wants, then we should at least try. Um, and I don't I don't know if it's feasible or not to achieve that goal. And I I'm certainly not. In, I'm only in favor of it if we can uh, if we can reduce rates and uh, have and continue to have really great reliability um, so but but with that if if uh, if we can meet those those goals and those caveats um, I think it'd be really important we've we've had discussions with uh, independent power sub producers IPPs um, oh good I'm gonna ask you to go into that more a little later okay so well I do want to that's Jim Levine the incumbent for District 3, Homer Electric Association Board of Directors. And Michael Jones. Mike Jones is the challenger. Uh, although I don't want to, I shouldn't be framing this as a sports competition. You are also a candidate for Homer Electric District 3. So could you introduce yourself? Because you are less of a known entity. Have you been here a couple years? Three? Yeah, yeah. thanks for that. Thanks for yeah. that. I appreciate it. Um, yeah, my name is Mike Jones, and um, we've lived here now almost three years exactly. Um, I uh, 
originally was born and raised in eastern Washington State, graduated as a mechanical engineer from Washington State University, um, began my career 37 years working in electric utility, had key roles in um, development, construction, operations and maintenance of hydro, hydro pump storage, fossil, solar, wind, geothermal, <clears throat> battery storage systems, and even a couple of fuel cells. And so over that 37 years, that variety of assignments, some of those were individual contributor kind of a roles where I was set out to go and, and find and solve problems, and others were small group leads where we had a specific task to achieve and go execute on. And, and I was also a large organization director in that organization, a group as big as 800 people overseeing our, our power generation business. So um, quite a bunch of fun experiences. And I love to reinforce experiences over experience because <clears throat> those experiences really give you tools in your toolkit that you can then take along and apply to whatever your next endeavor is. And um, the fun thing about that career was there were a whole lot of times where I had never done something before. Um, but that didn't really matter so much because I had some tools in my toolkit to be able to then apply, uh, leverage good people around me, good teams, uh, develop a solid action plan and go execute to that plan. And um, I think that's what I bring to the table here. And I really look forward to doing that same kind of thing here. I'm curious how you found Homer. <laughs> like, had you been fishing here? Did yeah. you see it on, the, uh, on uh, like, advertising? Or how did you find Homer? Yeah, thanks for that. We were, uh, um, we have three daughters. And uh, we've been so blessed with them. And, and they're married and they have kids. But very early on, um, our youngest daughter uh, uh, married her high school sweetheart. Uh, he graduated from the Coast Guard and got assigned here in Homer. And that was our first introduction to Homer. And we just fell in love with the Kenai Peninsula and thought, what a great place to be. And so as we were uh, anticipating retirement, um, we had that general conversation of, well, do you want to live in the mountains or do you want to live by the ocean? And it was like, you know, you kind of get a twofer right here, you know, yeah. <laughs> you know, we can have both. And so that really planted that seed and, and got us uh, lined up to come here. And we don't regret it one bit. We just awesome place to be. Well, the same thing I want to prompt you with the same thing I was talking to Jim about, like, what do you see? What kind of work have you done to prepare to be a candidate for HEA? And have you developed a set of priorities or goals along with that? Thanks. So, um, you know, the 37 years of experiences and stuff is helpful. Um, I, I, when I first got here, I started looking around and, and trying to see, you know, where can I give back to the community? What, what, this is just too uh, profound of a community to live in. How can I contribute and make a difference here? And so I started a little over a year ago participating in the uh, Homer Electric Association board meetings just as a member, and you have the ability to do that and call in or, uh, or uh, Microsoft Teams into the, into the meetings and what have you, and uh, started participating there. In fact, a little bit over a year ago, I gave a presentation to the board on renewables, wind and solar, and, uh, and helped to you know, introduce myself a little bit to the board. Uh, as they were looking at policy 505 and, and, and trying to think about their renewable, you know, portfolio that they want. 
wanted to develop. And so I really felt like I could probably bring a lot to the table, having been intimately involved in development of, of hydro and uh, solar and wind projects. And uh, so over that course of this last year, I've participated in various of the conversations at the board level and thought, you know, this is, this is probably the right time for me to step in and, and uh, bring, you know, some of my expertise to the table because of these particular challenges that the, the board's going to be facing going forward. I think I can, can contribute just at the right time. Well, thanks so much. That is Mike Jones, candidate for Homer Electric Association, Board of Directors, District 3. That is our district. And I'm going to get to, the phones are open. Jimmy is standing by. You can call in if you have any questions for either of the candidates, or you can email any questions to Kathleen at kbbi.org. Now, I see that Carrie Ann Baker Communications, Head of Communications for Homer Electric Association is on one of my sliders. Carrie Ann, can you read me? Yes, ma'am, I'm here. Oh, good. I also oh, go ahead. Uh, had a, conveniently a meeting with Rob Montgomery, who is the general manager of the Seward Electric Utility. So I have him here with me, too, if you have questions for him. Oh, how We're both available. Oh, how wonderful. Now, before I get to Seward, I hate to leave you hanging on the line. Thanks for coming in. But before I get to Seward, uh, can you talk about the Homer Electric Association annual meeting is May 4th, 6 p.m., Soldotna High School. And these there are many candidates. Everybody's got a challenger and an incumbent in all districts this year. Carrie Ann Baker, can you talk a little bit about the annual meeting and the ways that people can vote? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, we're very fortunate at Homer Electric. We have a we have a very steady board and we have a very steady membership with, with participation. So um, we're excited to see this level of um, level of interaction on the board and, and running. So we're pretty excited. And there's a lot of different ways you can vote this year. So you know, one of the things that happened last year is our longtime vendors decided they wanted to go in a different direction and they no longer wanted to uh, print uh, print ballots. They decided they wanted to open a gym. So we uh, it was a great opportunity. We'd had a great partnership for many years and we joined their gym and then we started looking around for another uh, vendor that could help us. And one of the things that our board wanted was to give members choices. So they wanted people to be able to vote by mail. They wanted people to be able to vote in person. And they also wanted people to be able to vote online. And so we looked for a vendor that could do all those things and would be safe and secure and could give that level of choice to our members. And so ballots should have already hit the mail. We are receiving ballots back from the mail. We have also received a number of electronic ballots and then don't forget, for those of you that want to vote in person, we will actually have that option at our annual meeting as well. Well, I can, I can attest to the fact that voting online is simple because it was over in just a few minutes. It was easy to do, easy to navigate. Uh, and the link is, uh, I got a, a link through my email and followed that link and voted for HEA Board of Directors already. Well, perfect. We've had a number of people do exactly the same thing, Kathleen. And so, you know, that first day we got quite a number of voters um, that voted right away. 
And then we do send out reminders, but only to people who haven't voted. So we're not going to spam you. So you won't be receiving any more emails from us, Kathleen. But for those members that haven't voted and that have signed up or we do have their email, they will receive another email just reminding them to vote. Um, and then we'll probably, the week of the election, we'll remind people that it's not too late. Come to the meeting and the annual meeting and vote in person if that's their choice too. Thanks so much. That is Carrie Ann Baker. If you have any questions for candidates, Mike Jones and Jim Levine, you can call 907-235-7721, or you can email your questions to Kathleen at kbbi.org. Now I'm going to switch back to the candidates, and we'll be back to you, Carrie Ann Baker, in just a few minutes. I, I do want to talk about renewables because it's a, it's, there's a huge commitment to renewables at HEA. Um, but one thing before I start, I'm going to start with, uh, with Mike Jones this time. But before I start, I do want to give people some perspective. Like when we talk about developing new sources or building new, you know, generation plants, um, Bradley Lake, the hydro plant, people started talking about it in the 70s. In the mid-80s, they started to build it. By 1991, it was online. And so when, you're, when we're discussing how to develop, we're talking about over many years. I don't know that, I mean, I wonder if you can even point to anything that happened over the course of one term of HEA as, as a board member. The battery. Oh, okay, fair enough. I'm coming back for you. But I'm going to start with... Uh, Candidate Mike Jones, to talk about uh, your understanding of HEA's um, experience with renewables or uh, participation in re generating renewable energy and what you think about it. Cool, thanks. Um, I think the key thing here is uh, you mentioned Bradley Lake, great renewable resource, you know, good hydro, and and I'm. I'm kind of passionate about hydro, having spent a lot of my career working with that. I've also spent a bunch of time with solar and uh, large ground-mounted uh, utility-scale solar, 20-megawatt size um, systems, which cover you know as much as 200 acres at a time. So as you look at certain of those renewables, like wind and solar, they're very much a land-intensive um, um, kind of a resource. And so that's important as you try to think about developing them, trying to find good swatches of land that make sense, um, that you can you know, take ownership of or set up leases or do things like that. And so uh, typically that's an important part of the overall conversation. And I know HEA is navigating through that right now with, with a couple of independent power producers who are thinking about you know, building some solar and wind. Uh, wind, uh, for example, things that you want to do up front is you want to install some MET towers. Those are meteorological towers and really understand the lay of the land and how the wind behaves in the region in order to be able to uh, then determine if it's economically feasible even to install wind turbines and stuff. So there's a lot of upfront work and like you said, it's not snap your fingers and it's going to show up overnight, um, whichever resource that is, hydro, wind, or solar. And so, uh, you know, my overall approach there is to think about it and do these things in a logical, methodical, science-based approach, installing these systems in places where they make sense, 
Um, not simply so installing a, a batch of solar panels because the intermittent nature of solar and the fact that it's a uh, summer peaking resource when Homer Electric Association needs a winter peaking resource, um, our, our energy demands in the wintertime are much, much greater than they are in the summertime. Um, uh, solar panels by themselves are just out of phase with exactly what the demand uh, is. And so you got to look at and think about storage appropriately. And whether that's battery storage or uh, uh, hydro pump storage, those are good solutions that really need to be thought of and coupled with and implemented because it's just very easy to go out and slap a bunch of solar panels on the ground. But at the end of the day, does it really matter? Does it really contribute? Does it really help uh, with the, the membership's overall bill and, uh, and electricity production? And so the devil's in the details on this stuff, and I think I bring that to the table. Thanks. That is Mike Jones. And Jim Levine, you want to talk about your experience with sure. renewables? Yeah, sure. Um, yeah, and certainly the devil's always in the details. Um, but I do think um, HEA has a great staff, um, and they've They've been looking into all of these issues. Um, they've got um, folks on the ground that have been doing computer analysis of all these possibilities. Um, you, you, you started out talking about the hydro plant over at Bradley Lake. Um, it was actually dismissed as being way too expensive uh, back in the 70s, um, and now it's the cheapest power we have. Everybody wants it. Um, so it just goes to show kind of the the foresight that obviously somebody had to put in Bradley Lake, that was great. Um, regarding solar, um, yeah, I, it certainly just slapping a bunch of uh, solar panels down on the ground would be a terrible idea. Um, but um, the HEA's had some discussions with uh, a couple of IPPs, the independent power producers, um, so it wouldn't actually be HEA doing the, any of the building, it, it, they just want to sell us power, um, so as long as as long as their power is cheaper than what we can produce it for ourselves, then, you know, whatever happens, that's great. Um, um, and right now, they, they did put in a um, proposal to us um, last year, um, and it was cheaper than what we could produce it for ourselves. So, um, we, you know, if they can continue on with that, they're having some stumbling problems. Um, so we're just waiting and seeing what they come up with. It's not up to us, it's up to what they're doing. Um, for wind, we've, uh, we've got uh, a uh, renewable energy fund grant for doing med towers and studying locations. Um, one of the things that the consultants told us was, don't just pick one site, pick a variety of, I mean, look all over where, where's the best wind, where's the cheapest locations. You, you know, you try to do all of that. You, you don't just, uh, again, don't just put up a wind tower somewhere and hope it's going to work. Um, so we certainly have not been doing that. A um, couple of other things though I wanted to mention um, was we're not um, just looking at those kinds of items. Um, there's a lot of other there's a lot of other opportunities for renewables. Um, a couple of them I can I could just think of um, off the top is uh, Golden Valley um, has some uh, wind up there that that and they have um, hydro they have their Hydropower down here, they're part of the, the uh, rail belt uh, pool that takes out of Bradley Lake, um, but it's hard for them to get the power sometimes, so there's, we've had some discussions with them of just making a trade. Um, if we can take their uh, hydropower and, and uh, we could provide them uh, power at, at, uh, at their facility for their wind. 
because uh, they have a great wind regime up there. It's probably the best capacity factor in the state for uh, wind. Um, it seems a little odd, but that's the way it's been working out that way. Um, a couple other things we've been looking at is uh, landfill gas in Soldotna. There's some um, there's a problem with the land with the landfill having methane gas. Right. If you could go into that, because I think this is a fascinating one. Like compost and garbage can generate electricity. Pretty much, they're doing it in Anchorage. Um, they've been doing it for years in Anchorage. It's um, it's basically a the landfill the landfill produces methane gas as a off gas. Um, they're they're going to be required to. Um, I believe we also it. produce methane gas. Well, as we an do, <laughs> but <laughs> we can't control we can't ours. Power the house with it, right? We can't control ours, but we can certainly control what uh, what comes off of a landfill. Um, so essentially, it'd be electricity. You can use the gas to produce electricity and heat. Um, the heat can go then back into the landfill to um, evaporate the leachate that's coming off of the the landfill, which they have to also control. Um, so it's a it's an interesting um, combination of of things that they've got going there. Um, we've also looked at um, Augustine and Spur for geothermal. We right now we have a renewable we have a application into the state for the renewable energy fund to fund some work that we've been looking at. Uh, some some folks came to us that want to do some um, geothermal at Augustine and Spur. And uh, so we've, we've been looking at that, but that's very long-term. Like you were saying with the hydro This plant, happens over decades, it's, it's take, like generations. Right, it takes a long time. Like we were talking before, um, essentially you're, you're putting a power plant at the base of a volcano. Um, so there's, there's a lot of safety factors there, if nothing else. Um, it obviously works in Iceland, um, and I've been there and seen their, their plant um, or plants. Um, but... But it's going to take some time to, to do. Um, so anyway, I, oh, the other thing that we're looking at is oil platforms. Um, Hillcorp is looking for ways to utilize their oil platforms a little more. And, uh, and one of them would be um, put, put wind generators on them. And, and I've always actually thought about how about wind generators on top and um, underneath that you could put uh, some hydrokinetic. Hydro? Hydrokinetic uh, power. Um, everybody looks at the tides that we have out here and go, how come we're not using that? And I've been hearing like, that question the entire 20 years I have been working at this station. And I've been, I've been researching it for at least that long. Um, and it's just there's nothing available. Every five years they say, oh, it'll be another five years and we'll have it. And uh, I'm not kidding. It's been 20 years. And every five years they say, oh, yeah, another five years. Well, I want to bring Mike Jones into this. If you'd want to add to this, or if you have anything you want to, to talk about, about what Jim's been talking about. Sure, I'd like to build a little bit on what Jim said about geothermal. I think that perspective is exactly right. It's um, The devil is really in the details there, and um, I actually had a lot of experience helping support our geothermal facilities. And... Um, 
the challenges that you have with them are not about producing electricity. It's all about handling chemicals such as arsenic, sulfur, and other such things, water, reinjecting water back into the ground, generating earthquakes when you do so. There's all kinds of challenges that are really in the details of how do you operate such facilities. So yes, that's a pretty long development timeline. It may or may not pan out. But uh, once again, just going through it with, you know, understanding what the facts and the details are is really important. Um, the, uh, the description of um, um, the title uh, or, or hydrokinetic, um, uh, I similarly have been working on uh, development of those, uh, probably dating back 15 years now only. Um, and they have some real, you know, technical challenges to be able to do that. And it probably is several years off still. Um, in any meaningful fashion, um, but it's good to continue to challenge yourself, to try to understand, to figure out the details, because the devil is in those details. Well, I, I want to, we're going to get to Rob Montgomery and Carrie Ann Baker in just a minute, but I, I do want to talk about, with the two of you, HEA, if people are listening, another thing that I'd like to make sure people are aware of in terms of context is that our electricity, our electric cooperative is a highly regulated animal. <laughs> so there are lots of things going on in um, good ideas are just good ideas. There are, you have to, right now House Bill 62 um, extends the Renewable Energy Grant Fund for 10 years. There's also um, Senate Bill 101, Renewable Portfolio Standard for Rail Belt Electric Utilities. There are a lot of things going on now. I had uh, spoken, Jim Levine, I talked to you a little earlier. You said that uh, between, can you talk a little bit about the Renewable Energy Grant Fund? And then I'm going to start with Mike Jones on the Renewable Portfolio Standard. You guys feel free to jump in and talk to each other on this, but I do want people to get an idea of what's happening in the legislature. So can you start with the Renewable Energy Grant Fund, Jim Levine? Sure. Um, yeah, and they had it, it's been previously, they already funded it a year ago or so. Um, well, probably two years now. Um, and they, um, or HEA, put in applications for, uh, for four different wind sites and also for that landfill gas uh, project. And we got, we got uh, the funding from the state for, to do uh, research on all um, all of the grants that we requested, um, so that was that was great. Um, so we're now looking at four four wind locations, and uh, and we got some money to do some design work for the landfill gas project that we talked about. Um, so coming up, uh, the uh, the state legislature then wanted to continue forward. It was only a one year program, I guess. Um, so this year they're they're looking at funding it again. Um, and so we put in an application this time for um, Augustine and Spur and also the oil platforms. Um, and again, it's, it's, these are independent power producers, I should mention, for the Augustine and Spur. It's not HEA that would be uh, developing it. Uh, we were just putting in the grant application so that these folks could, uh, could continue on with their uh, research. Um, and it, essentially, so that's, I guess, what the grant funding is for, is, is to research, to move forward with uh, with good ideas, like you said. Um, so yeah, so the legislature I saw is discussing uh, in 10 years uh, further. I, I think there was something that passed uh, last week um, through the through the House. The Senate's changed it a little bit, so now it has to go back to the House in order to uh, 
get final approval, um, and then I suspect that, that Governor Dunleavy will uh, will sign it because I, th I think it kind of came from him. It anyways. came from that office. Yeah. So I uh, I want to bring Mike Jones in if you want to add anything to that or go ahead to talk about the renewable portfolio standard. Let's talk about the House Bill 121 and Senate Bill 101. Great. Currently in motion right now, um, they're going to require the utilities to reach 80% renewable power by uh, 2040 with intermediate targets along the way. And, um, you know, as, as you look at that, uh, for me, uh, I ask the question of what's the problem we're trying to solve here, and if the problem is greenhouse gas emissions, then let's peel that onion back a couple of layers and understand what the facts are. And, you know, right now, um, Alaska is 40th or 41st ranked of all the 50 states in the United States in greenhouse gas emissions with less than 1% of the total greenhouse gas emissions. So Wait, so does a high <laughs> number mean that you're... That you're doing well, or does a low number mean that you're doing well? A low number means you're a very small part of the contribution to the overall greenhouse gas emissions okay. for the nation. Like I say, less than 1%. Our and population helps with that. Uh, well, you know, population um, offset a little bit by resource development, you know, pretty resource-intensive economy around here. So, so I think the challenge there is if you're going to solve the problem for greenhouse gases, shouldn't you focus on the areas that are the biggest contributors or give you the biggest bang for your buck? And if you're trying to attack less than 1% of the greenhouse gas emissions, contributed by the state of Alaska, should we have policies in place to try to attack those, or, or are we better served by helping other states uh, with higher emissions profiles to be able to reduce those emissions? And perhaps, you know, teaming up and working together on that might be a better uh, solution. The key thing in my experience has been that RPS goals typically require too much too soon, and they ultimately saddle the customer with years of high electricity costs that could have been avoided using a more measured approach. Um, in this case, in focusing on the electricity sector here in Alaska, um, the electricity sector contributes to about something like 7 or 8% to the total greenhouse gas emissions in the state of Alaska. So a tiny, tiny amount of greenhouse gas emissions from an overall United States perspective, from an overall world perspective, but we're focused on trying to reduce that, where maybe we might be better served with attacking the other areas that are higher contributors. We might get bigger reductions more readily, um, more cost-effectively, that doesn't saddle the electric customer with high rates for a long time period. I've, I've jokingly shared that chasing the uh, electric energy sector in Alaska for reducing greenhouse gas emissions is similar to uh, focusing on the hair on the flea on the tail of the dog. It's a tiny, tiny amount of the overall contribution. We can feel good about ourselves by reducing greenhouse gases if that's what our goal is, but is it going to matter in the big scheme of things, and is it going to saddle us with large electricity rates going forward? I think you got to have a conversation about that, lay the numbers out, lay the facts out, and develop a plan. And what's key with HEA is they've got a really important strategic planning session coming up later this year, where I think they can do a great job of laying all that out. I think I can help shape that conversation, and we can put together a good plan and execute on that plan. 
Thanks. That's Mike Jones, candidate for District 3. Jim Levine, do you want to add anything to that before we go to Carrie Ann Baker? Yeah, just real quick. Go uh, ahead. I just wanted to uh, mention, yeah, we do have that strategic pan plan coming up. And, and I think um, it's important that we keep in mind, though, that we are contributing, even if it is a tiny bit. Um, and we could, and, and at HEA, we have been uh, researching all that stuff and trying to come up with answers that not only can you know, as you said, we can feel good about what we are reducing, but also um, coming up with solutions that are cost effective. Um, anything that we're looking at, we're not going to do it unless it's cost effective, uh, meaning meaning that um, it's less it's going to be less expensive than what we're doing now. So it's it's not only taking care of the greenhouse gases, but also doing it more cost effectively than we than we are working now. Well, I'm going to change gears now and go to Carrie Ann Baker and Rob Montgomery from uh, HEA and from Seward because the community of Seward has a vote coming up whether or not to join the Homer Electric Association Cooperative. So can we start with Carrie Ann and Rob? Can you lay it out for people? Like, when is the vote and what's happening? Can you um, explain a little bit? Uh, yeah, hey, Kathleen, this is Rob Montgomery. Thanks for having me. Thanks. Um, the vote is on May 2nd. I'm sorry, can you hear me? Go ahead, yes. Yes. Yeah, the vote is on May 2nd. And what we're going to be looking to do for Seward is really about, you know, um, our energy uh, security for the future and what's best for our community. Now, we're a really small utility. We have 10 employees. So uh, limited in-house expertise, and we're looking at you know a number of challenges uh, coming down the pike in the future, and we're simply not structured um, to to manage those. And so, from our perspective, you know, in the council and the mayor, it makes a lot of sense for us at this time to um, to be looking at aligning ourselves with a larger utility, uh, utility like Homer Electric. They've got a number of resources. They've got uh, a tremendous amount of in-house expertise, and um, and certainly they they can offer more programs and services than we can. Most of our employees are focused on operations, and um, if we can align with with Homer, and we uh, we believe this is the right move here, and I'm speaking for the council and the mayor and myself, um, then then I think we set ourselves up very well for the future. Thanks. That is Rob Montgomery from Seward Electric Systems. Do I have that? What's your, how do I identify you? I just uh, met you over the I, phone I'm, right yeah. now. <laughs> I, I am the general manager here in Seward of the electric utility. Thank you. I appreciate that. Now, is it, uh, I, forgive my ignorance, is the vote just one more person has to agree than the people who don't want to join? Or is there a percentage of the community that needs to, to sign on for this? That's a good question. Um, the, we have to have 60% of the people who actually vote need to vote in favor of, uh, of selling the utility. Uh, back in 2000, there was a vote, and I believe the percentage was around 52%. So, you know, we're, we're working hard. We're trying to make sure people are educated on the issues, uh, why this is a tremendous opportunity for Seward as a community um, and for the electric utility. So um, yeah, we're working hard. We're trying to just make sure people have good information. And what are you doing in terms of community outreach? 
for the people of Seward? Uh, uh, well, and I'll let Carrie Ann speak to Homer, but they've held a number of drop-in sessions uh, on a weekly basis where people can just uh, come in, ask them questions. I've attended a few of those myself to, to speak to uh, Seward and, and what we're looking at. But uh, the big items for us is we've got a couple of uh, town hall summits that are taking place. The first one is this evening from 5.30 to 7.30 p.m. over at the Gateway Hotel. And we will have uh, various stations there uh, talking to specific topics, such as rates, such as programs and services. Um, and people can come in and they can get their questions answered. And we will hold a second town hall summit uh, next Wednesday evening, same time, same place, uh, and do it all again for those that may not be able to make it this evening. Okay, thanks. That's Rob Montgomery from Seward Electric Service. And Carrie Ann Baker, is there anything you want to add to that? You know, I would just add that not only is this a win for Seward and for their customers, but it really is a win for HGA and our members. Uh, this is a, an opportunity for us to uh, increase our usage, so um, get some additional customers. That's going to allow us to run our generation plants more efficiently, save on the fuel costs. Um, we also like the idea of economic growth and keeping local jobs local. Uh, so it's a big win for that. And then the other part, Kathleen, and I know we touched on it a little bit, and I know the candidates touched on it today, is HEA is a big proponent of net metering, which is the generation uh, behind the meter generation. Well, that actually means that we're selling less power. And so the interesting thing about Seward is their uh, electric usage, the people using power, actually goes up in the summer right when HEA's use is going down. And so it's really an opportunity for us to continue to allow new technologies like uh, solar and batteries and all those things for our member that, of course, reduce their costs because sewer usage goes up for the summer and kind of covers that, allowing us to continue to run these plants very efficiently. What so a nice efficiency. We're excited to be here. So if uh, I would like to go to the candidates now to see uh, anything that you would like to say about the possibility of a merger with Seward. I'm going to start with candidate Jim Levine this time. And what do you think? I have, yeah, I have several things uh, on the Seward, Seward issue, although I did want to bring up real quick, because um, Carrie Ann mentioned it, uh, the solar by having um, more, more solar requirements in the summertime, and, and, uh, and Mike mentioned that too. And one thing that, uh, that didn't come up was um, our Nikiski plant is our main plant, and once a year we have to uh, bring it down for maintenance. Um, there's always some maintenance. It seems to take at least two weeks, usually more like four weeks, and sometimes even a little longer. And it's our most efficient plant. So when it's down, um, we've we've lost the ability to use our best power plant. Um, so if we, but we can start taking it down. If we had all those solar systems, we could take the plant down in the summertime. And that way, we would we would be able to augment it with, uh, you know, solar, which doesn't have any um, cost to the um, generation portion. Um, anyway, but on on Seward, I yeah, I do think it's a it's a great opportunity for both Seward and for Homer Electric, as Carrie Ann mentioned. Uh, it spreads out our overhead um, so that uh, our members um, get some um, relief in the in the rates. 
Um, sewards, sewards uh, size. There's there's some issues going on with uh, with some government regulations and stuff coming down the pike that uh, that it'll help them if if they could be part of a, a larger organization. Um, and the other thing on uh, on sewer that hasn't been mentioned, uh, I think, is the sewer members um, would get a vote on the HEA if they if they join HEA, then they could. Um, be part of they'll be part of the uh, election process and and the uh, board board members uh, and right now um, a lot of the members in Seward if you're a taxpayer in the city then uh, then you have a, a say in this in their in your electric utility um, but there's a lot of members outside of Seward that that have no no say in in what goes on with their electric utility so this would give everybody that's on their system a, a vote so more of a speak. voice. So yeah, so more of a voice, um, and I I want to mention too for the HEA folks um, that that it's um, uh, not a done deal even even after their vote the sewer sewer people get to vote on whether or not they um, they want to join HEA um, and kind of become a a peninsula wide um, uh, cooperative, um, but. Um, we're doing our due diligence. HEA is certainly doing its due diligence to make sure that it's um, it's a good purchase, um, and and pretty much at any time um, uh, there's the opportunity to uh, to back off from the the purchase if we if we find something that's that's a problem. Uh, but so far we we have lots of consultants looking into it, and we haven't seen anything that's a a major uh, stumbling block. Okay, that's Jim Levine. I want to go to Mike Jones now. Can you elaborate on your ideas about the Seward merger? Yeah, I think uh, Carrie Ann and Jim uh, both shared <coughs> good perspectives on that, and um, uh, so I don't think we need to reiterate any of that. Um, the, Jim's last point was really a good one. Um, there is specific off-ramps uh, associated in there, and a lot of times you go into one of these uh, mergers or acquisitions, and you don't wait. You don't know what you don't know, and good due diligence process helps to uncover things. and And as you go forward, and you may find stuff, you're going to find all kinds of different things. Um, are they deal breakers or not? Probably not. But you're going to become more informed and and helps you understand how you might uh, run the overall larger business together and what have you. But it is important to have off-ramps in there, and it's my understanding that that is the case, as Jim described. And so, um, you know, do keep that in mind. It's, you know, <coughs> this, is, this is, you know, always an uncertain kind of endeavor, and it could have different outcomes than what you think. But, uh, you know, it's a good opportunity, I think, for all the reasons that uh, uh, Carrie Ann and Jim were sharing. Thanks so much. That's Mike Jones. I have some questions coming in to Kathleen at kbbi.org. And I knew we were going to get to this. I had a feeling we were getting here. Will either, this one comes, will either of the candidates support lowering monthly minimum rates for HEA service? The present monthly minimums have taken away incentives for net metering by members to reduce individual bills and increase renewables into the co-op's power production. So I'm going to start with Jim Levine. Can you address that concern? Oh, I sure can. Go for it. Um, yeah, it, it's been a problem. I, I totally agree with you. Um, I, I have uh, solar panels as well on both businesses and homes, and, um, and I do find that the current 
the current rate structure is a disincentive, um, and uh, and I I like the net metering program, uh, but but it does create a disincentive with our rates structure, um, and we are so we're looking at doing a cost of service um, analysis, a rate study, um, coming up this year. Um, we've already we've got the background data from from previous years, and we'll be uh, we'll be doing this cost of service study. Um, coming up next year and hope to restructure our um, our rates uh, after that point. Thanks. Uh, Mike Jones, would you like to add anything to that? Yeah, I've not dug into the details of that, not looking at the rate structure, and it's good that Jim described the process that's going to be going forward. I think that's critical to do that because um, it's challenging for uh, the average member who pays their monthly bill to understand um, that wh why doesn't my my fee that I pay for my kilowatt hours, you know, cover the total cost of service, and why do I have to pay this monthly amount? And um, I think the monthly amount is a reflection that you know even if your meter doesn't spin at all, there's infrastructure and resources and talent that have been engaged and paid for in order to ensure that whenever you turn that switch on, you get power. And that standby readiness, that connected connectedness to the grid, is critically important. Um, and to be able to have the right mechanism to pay for it, that's where those kind of monthly uh, charges come from. And so striking the right balance of what, what that is, I prefer to let the, the rate study uh, evaluate that, come up with the facts, and to be able to communicate that well to the customers, to whatever the rate structure turns out to be. Thanks. I'm going to – do you want to add to that, Jim Levine? No, that was – Oh, okay. You did, you did something with your hands, and I was <laughs> – I wasn't sure. Sorry. Uh, but I, but I want to move on to the question that I've gotten this one three times in three different iterations – uh, so I'm going to start with you this time, Mike Jones. Uh, what uh, HEA's relationship with Hillcorp, and what are the alternatives, and how, how, what are specifically the ways HEA can diversify, and no longer and no longer have this hanging over our heads. Well, I think Jim mentioned what Hillcorp's notice had been to all of the utilities about, you know, upcoming uh, expiration of their existing contracts and what have you. Um, here's what I expect. They're a major, they're our major supplier. Yeah. And here's what I expect's going on, not being a member of the board, but having been involved in these kinds of things before. I expect that behind the scenes, the HEA board is having confidential conversations with key players in this whole arena, whether it's Hillcorp and um, other uh, gas providers. They're probably all subject to non-disclosure agreements. Some of those non-disclosure agreements probably can't even allow them to acknowledge that they're in discussions with somebody. And so there's a whole lot of work I would expect going on behind the scenes uh, in trying to help figure out and navigate this uh, challenge. Some of that is securing additional natural gas supply to be able to shore up and fill in gaps that may occur. Uh, we've talked quite a bit about trying to add additional renewables to help uh, close that gap. For me, the key thing is the renewables got to be added in a cost-effective fashion and in a smart fashion. They've got to be able to be reliable, predictable, dependable, so that people can know that when they're going to turn on their switch, their power is going to be there. And so we got to do those right. We've got to install those renewable systems right. And so it's a complex challenge. It, it deals with 
you know, what we can see visibly going on in the markets, but also things that we can't see going on kind of behind the scenes and what the work activities that the board is working on, um, I expect, uh, to be able to help uh, navigate through the challenge. And so all those pieces aren't on the table right now to be able to speak to them intelligently. Jim may be able to weigh in just a little bit because he knows what he can speak to and what he can't, um, <laughs> if that exists. <laughs> and so so uh, anyway, that's kind of my perspective on that. Thank you. And yeah. oh, I had someone phrase the question to me or phrase the relationship as a, a codependent relationship <laughs> with uh, with Hillcorp that HEA has. Mm -hmm. But I don't know that I'd go that far, but I would like to hear your perspective, Jim Levine, as a board member. Yeah, up till now, I mean, Hillcorp recently has been the only uh, game in town, so um, there's not a lot of options there. Um, we are trying to... Uh, to uh, I guess cooperate with other with the other utilities and and see what we can do. Um, um, you're right. There is a lot of uh, non-disclosure agreements going back and forth. Um, uh, everybody, all the oil the oil companies are pretty um, tight with what they're wanting to do. Um, but it appears to me, uh, in the long run, um, we're just the, the cost of gas in the Cook Inlet Basin is just getting too high. It's um, it's not that you can't find oil or gas. Um, it's at what cost. And at some point, the cost is going to be so high that we're probably going to start importing, and that's going to be a really high cost. Um, I've, heard, I've heard double or even triple what we pay right now. Um, and I wanted to mention is that um, I, I go through the budget every year um, thoroughly. It, in fact, they use, my, they use my two or three pages of questions as their... Um, as their uh, template for how to review the budget, because um, I always have two or three pages of questions for them. I see you have two uh, or three pages right now. You betcha. <laughs> um, anyway, and so um, the gas, the gas problem. Once they, once we hit that, it's it would be really bad news. Um, so I, I'm concerned that we uh, that we do diversify our portfolio um, prior to that, um, and even if we. If we still have to use some of the gas, it's still going to be anything that we can reduce is better than having to buy the really expensive gas that's that it appears is going to start happening here soon. And one one third of our budget at HEA goes just to buy the fuel. It's thirty five million dollars. Um, if we could reach that goal of fifty percent uh, redu reduction, uh, we'd be saving sixteen million dollars. Um, just from just from that. Thanks. That is Jim Levine, candidate for District Three. I'm going to come back to the to the both of you for final comments, but right now I want to go back to Carrie Ann Baker because I want to know if there's anything uh, before we close this show that you want to add as a spokesperson for Homer Electric Association. Uh, no, I just appreciate you having us and having Rob on at the last minute, and I wish both the candidates luck, and uh, thanks for bringing attention so that our members can make an educated choice. Thank you so much. Everybody remember that, uh, check your email, also you can, uh, and your snail mail, your post office mail, and also is there a, uh, a way to just go to HEA? At the annual meeting. You oh, at the annual meeting. Yeah, we don't take uh, the ballots during the year. I mean, during the election season, because it's, you know, it's supposed to be hands off. It's it's um, there's an election official that does all that. 
Okay, so I'm going to start with, I started with you at the beginning, I'll start with you at the end. So Mike Jones, candidate for HEA board, is there anything else you want to leave people with? Well, thanks for having us here today. I think it was a great conversation. I think um, one thing I bring to the table here is a set of tools, including um, facilitative leadership skills, that I think I can help the board to be able to navigate through these challenges, working together as a team, figuring out uh, the best path for our members in a way that uh, creates an ongoing, safe, reliable, affordable electricity supply for our membership. And um, in doing so, I think we have the chance to make a difference here in these big challenges going forward. You know, I think we've detailed them pretty well today. Um, I think uh, I'm a good candidate to help us to be able to navigate through that, and, and I appreciate your vote. Thanks. That is Mike Jones, candidate for District 3 Board of Directors for Homer Electric Association. Jim Levine, okay. go ahead. Thank you. Um, yeah, well, I just said it's been a great honor serving the members of HEA uh, these past few years. Um, I also think that I, I bring some great um, project management skills to the table as well. Um, I've been doing this work for 25 years just as a project manager uh, here in Homer, and uh, and it's basically what we do at uh, HEA as board as directors, um, is we uh, manage the, all the all the items that are going through the system. Um, so I I uh, think it's best that we continue to chart our course to overcome all of these problems that we've been discussing today and uh, and some of the uh, rewards and of these challenges that as we try to navigate the system. And uh, I hope I hope to have your support. Uh, for, uh, for this coming vote, and uh, again, thanks for uh, putting on this uh, program. Sure thing. That's Jim Levine. Also, thanks to Mike Jones and Carrie Ann Baker from Homer Electric Association and Rob Montgomery from Seward Electric Service. I'm, did I, I'm Kathleen Gustafson. Did I say that? And you've been listening to The Coffee Table right here on KBBI Homer AM 890, and K201AO Seward, 88.1 FM. Thanks for listening.